0: Hello and welcome to the Brave Business Podcast brought to you by accounting, tax audit and advisory firm Blick. Rothenberg. Brave by name and brave by nature, this series is different. Aimed at entrepreneurial businesses, we focus on providing practical guidance, timely insights, and professional opinions from industry experts, helping you make informed decisions for your business. I'm Declan Curry, journalist and broadcaster. In today's episode, we're going to look at some of the barriers faced by black entrepreneurs and how they overcome them. We'll also take a look at unconscious bias, representation and diversity in the business world. Joining me to uh, discuss this, we have Kojo Marfo, who is uh, founder of My Runway Group. Uh, Bola Yusuf, uh, who is founder of International Tax Search. That's a recruitment company. And from Blick Rothenburg, uh, one of its partners, Ed Rio. Welcome to the three of you and uh, thank you for joining our discussion. Uh, Kojo, let's, let's start with you. Tell me a bit about My Runway and what it does and tell me a bit about your journey in setting it up.
1: Right um, so I was born and raised uh, in Ghana, West Africa uh, till I was 18 uh, and I joined my family in the UK. Uh, so in Ghana, I've literally had like a very good life. so um, I driven to school or uh, lived in a, 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 in a good neighborhood of my school. Uh, Was British founded. Um, So we're doing the Montessori system of education, exposed to a lot of things uh, as compared to like the average kid in Accra, in the capital. Um, So moving to London, I just thought it was going to be 10 times bigger or nicer. (laughs) Then I had like this cultural shock of um, my parents letting me know that they they had struggled to get me into the country. Um, So I literally had like a two year two week visa or something like that um so um the, the, they just have to kind of assure me that oh you're not gonna be an immigrant for long maybe like a couple months um and then i'll like the the um, family lawyer will sort it out um but that took 10 years um so the 10 years of me um, finding myself, um, realizing I'm black for the first time, because in Ghana no one called me black. Um, and also navigating life as an immigrant, um, having a lot of identity issues, and realizing I just have to go for what's mine and not. Expect any support or handouts in any shape or form. Um, so, kind of find my way into college um, to do like physics, maths, ICT, then also eventually into university to study aerospace engineering because I always wanted to be a pilot growing up. Um, but then whilst I was at university, I didn't qualify for government loans, student finance, none of that. So I realized if I had to stay in university, then I have to fund it myself. And that's what led to me trying to find money by doing creative events, fashion shows, comedy shows, um, end of year balls, raves, whatever I could to basically just find money to pay my tuition, my app keep rent, whatever it is. But then I realized that what I was doing for money wasn't um, the end of it. Cause a lot of the people that I would speak to in terms of joining the team or people that wanted to uh, be part of what I had started, they didn't want it for they were not in it for the money they they had government loans and students finance support and whatnot but they were basically looking for experience they were looking for references they were looking for opportunity they were looking for commercial visibility they were looking for all the things that i didn't even notice what i had created was given them so that was what led to my runway group and i was thinking what one thing can i create that can support everyone that um, I had kind of identified as as part of my tribe of people that regardless where you've come from, um, being black was making it difficult to um, go up the ladder or get access to certain opportunities or get your foot into certain doors um, and that's what my runway group started to basically give emerging creative of a same background of black community or um, the opportunity to be able to kind of do their own thing get experience in um, creative initiatives um, um, before they get you know the, their foot into like the creative industry
0: and this is the sharing of expertise the sharing of Best practice, uh, community support, would that be a reasonable yeah, so, description?
1: So ideally, is to just make them competitive in whatever space they find themselves. So, whatever the support comes in, in terms of mentoring, in terms of partnership in terms of access, uh, in terms of funding, um, visibility, um, we identify whatever it is the a brand or a community, um, depending on the level that you are, will need and how best we can facilitate that. So we're pretty much a middleman for growth, um, for creatives and also small businesses.
0: Thank you for telling that story. Uh, to us. We'll pick up some of the the themes of it uh, in our discussion as well. Uh, Boulous, if I want to bring you into the uh, discussion uh, as well, your uh, business is International Tax Search. That's right, yeah. That's a recruitment business. Correct, yeah. Who do you recruit and for whom?
2: Okay, so we recruit um, US tax professionals, um, predominantly in the London and East Coast USA markets, Uh, We recruit for professional services firms. So that could be accountancy or in the US, they'll call them CPA firms. We also recruit for law firms, private equity, hedge funds and some banks. And Um,
0: and sorry to cut him, it's just to be clear, it's based here in London, but really you're a global business.
2: Well, I would say that I wouldn't say we're a global business. We don't have offices in any other locations. What I would say is that we have a global reach. So. When I set up the business, I really looked at U.S. tax professionals as being a profession that is mobile. It's a mobile skill set. And so we we follow the professional's career. So, you know, you could be living in London and you're looking for an opportunity. You decide to relocate to New York. We'll always be able to help you wherever, you know, irrespective of the location that you're going to.
0: Why that business? Why that particular field of expertise?
2: I would love to say that it was some sort of genius idea from myself, but I can't. Well, we just, took that for granted. Yeah, I, st- I stumbled. I stumbled across it. I stumbled across it. If I just kind of go back a little bit in terms of like my background, so um, I was actually born in Nigeria, came to London as a four-year-old. My parents were, I guess, that was that first first generation immigrant. So they came here. My dad came on a on a scholarship, which is something the Nigerian government was giving out at the time. He trained to be a chartered banker. So I come here as a four-year-old, integrate into the kind of like UK society. Always kind of like low-income low, low, low family, grew up in a council estate in Islington, went through kind of the British schooling system, college, university. I wasn't quite sure what I wanted to do, um, but one thing I was quite keen on, and it sounds very, very basic, but I wanted to wear a suit. So I wanted to go to work and wear a suit. I was fascinated by places like canary wharf and bank and just watching people clearly they were making money being successful so i just kind of had this first for being successful Um, and i wanted to do it in kind of like the best places and admittedly like my university degree my, my grades weren't fantastic but i just kind of had this almost naive drive to be successful so i applied for like the big four firms the big banks hsbc barclays who most of them probably laughed at me right but um thankfully um at the second attempt I did I did get a job in a big, big four so I'm going to I'm going to I'm going to shout out a lady named Jenny Killip who was the person who hired me at at this big four firm um and essentially that was kind of my entry into the world of professional services I went into audit so I was working in audit for about two two three years um, I joined another big four firm and then one day I just kind of I was talking to a private equity recruiter um, and he really planted that seed. One thing led to another, I started working in a recruitment firm. And then after being in a recruitment firm, working as an employee, I decided to essentially set up my own firm. I always believed that having a niche recruitment firm was the way to go. So rather than trying to be all things to everybody, just be the go-to person or go-to company for a niche selection of individuals. And that was about 11 years ago, and here we are now. Kojo, I'm struck by something that you said when you were talking
0: earlier, that it was, it was only when you came to Britain that you thought of yourself as someone who is black. And I wondered how, for both of you, being black has shaped your experience of being in business. Did you feel that you were at a disadvantage to other people, that you were treated differently from other people? When did that start becoming an issue?
1: so for myself i realized that i didn't understand why again people wanted to be part of what i was doing when they had all the support in terms of staying university and getting through it Um, but it was through conversations just when i realized that we share a similar barrier in terms of um, moving onto the career ladder even getting us a foot in into the career ladder and also when we started doing a lot more for small businesses um, that's when i realized that you can have a good product but if you don't have access to the right market chains and if you don't have access to the right peoples and the buyers um, you could be selling to the same people for the rest of your life Um, and also there was like the lack of education um, in terms of our community understanding how marketplaces work and also how business or commerce in general works because more times we're very um, passion driven to start an idea or to start a business, especially post COVID when everyone had like some time to kind of fully do what they wanted to do or make their side hustle like a thing. Um, But then they just don't invest a lot of time into educating themselves or find the right partners to kind of elevate their businesses. So something that usually would take other Communities or race, maybe two or three years. It could take someone in the black community, on average, ten years to even get to have or for that same type of level. So it was all through our conversations, and the more we had done, and the more focus groups and research that we have kind of carried out, kind of gave me like a deeper understanding of what it takes what it is that our community is dealing with, especially on the creative level and also on the commerce level.
0: So these are barriers that are both some are obvious and in oh, your face, very, very, and very others are evident. very subtle and quiet. Yes,
1: yes, yes. Until you're very much in the mix, um, you wouldn't realize certain things. Um, also, I have a quick story of I uh, used we used to do like create project huge initiatives from let's say having um about thousand creatives working on a production and stuff like that i wanted to kind of do an arena in london and we we're doing a lot more in the midlands in the, the three years prior to that um and we had a very racist venue manager to deal with like i remember i had suffered a lot of losses um from um uh, Asking people for money and all of that because I didn't really have like a stable job um, to kind of run the previous productions and this time around I thought that's when we we're going to break even and um, we got charged way more um, than ever promoters get charged or event producers get charged um, and there was a time when we signed a contract for two thousand people we're super confident we're going to get the numbers and even sell out um, and and I had a phone call saying if you have more than thousand people. Or a thousand of your people in the space, I'm gonna get extra security and dogs to check chase you out. And that was a venue manager. And these times I was still an immigrant, I couldn't get any support.
0: Your people.
1: So that I, was the phrase I, that was used. Yeah, I have I have that um on we email don't, we and then don't also need phone to call. guess what was meant by that? Uh, oh, of course, of course. So we didn't even, we're not even like a risk in terms of hosting us, right? But he said they had a security briefing and all of a sudden we have to now cap cap our capacity at a thousand, which was half of what we were predicting. And so we had to basically stop selling tickets um, um, and then literally work with half of like an arena. So there was like a lot of these things that if you're not in it you probably would think it's okay or it's all you know you know it's all polished and it's not it's, it's not what people are making it look like or or maybe a group of people are exaggerating but this was like real life this was was this was my lived experience um and to to looking back I was I'm wondering how many people from my community had to kind of endure such a thing from such a venue manager and also how he kind of flexes powers. Um, it could be very racially motivated. It could just be your professionalism, but whatever it is, it, 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 didn't, it wasn't comforting. It wasn't even assuring to be paying all of that money and still not be able to get what you've paid for only because you have to deal with such barriers.
0: But in your journey as a business founder, was it always obvious from the very start that there were barriers and boundaries that you faced because of your background that rivals may not have either been aware of or have faced themselves.
2: Yes, I think I think there are. I just wonder—is that obvious from the very start? Yeah. So for me, it very much started, or you know, there's, and I I, this may resonate with some people, but there's a moment where you remember your blackness, right, and you will have these moments in life and one of the moments that i remember is actually when i entered the corporate world because you know there was this fancy kind of welcome day and you it, it it's very clear to see that you are very much the minority i may have been the only black guy in the room right you have to get comfortable with that right you have to get comfortable with that because predominantly in the corporate world at that time, that's those are the types of things that black and ethnic minorities will face, right? But throughout the course of me being like a business founder or running a business, yeah, you will be reminded of that at times, right? Um, and it's really much how you know what your reaction to it. I'm a big believer in it's not the action, it's what the reaction is, right? How do you react to it? Um, I, for the most part. I'm an incredibly resilient person, so I've learned to kind of navigate matters of race, I would say, pretty well.
0: You could also say, hang on, this shouldn't be happening. I should be treated the same as every entrepreneur. Every entrepreneur should get the same fair treatment.
2: Yeah, but unfortunately, like, the world isn't fair, right? Again, it's really about kind of like your reaction to it. Like, I feel that not only like I'm a black person, but I'm very obviously like an from an ethnic minority, I can't hide that I'm from an ethnic minority. If I'm on the other end of the phone, I don't go by an alias. I go by my name, which is Bola Yusuf. Are you judged differently because of that? Do you sense that? I think so. I think there are times that you might be just because, maybe just because it's unusual, right? I, I don't hear that name every day, right? So there can be maybe a little bit of scepticism, especially I sell, right? And we all know kind of like the notion of, salesmen are some somehow distrusted just generally across the board whether it be kind of a car salesman, real estate agent, whatever but then add the layer to it, which is I have an unusual name and I'm black, right but I very much kind of lean into it so I'm I'm unapologetically black, right and I'm unapologetically Nigerian. That's very much what I am. Um, but I fundamentally believe in my product and service. And to the point, like, why would you not want to work with me, right? And I think that one of the messages that I very much want to deliver to black entrepreneurs is there's two ways to kind of look at it. You could potentially try and sell something to somebody, right? And they say no. And you can come off the phone and say, oh, they they didn't buy from me because I was black, right? Or you can look at the other factors. Now, the truth of the matter is, is you will never know whether they didn't buy from you for your black, but all you can do is put your best foot forward to ensure that you have sold that product and service or service to the best of your ability. So I wouldn't say like I'm not naive to it, but I don't lead with it.
0: Edrio, from Blake Rothenberg, you're a partner uh, at the company. Welcome to our discussion. We've been listening and reflecting on what we've heard. Very moving, I must say.
3: Just, if I may, I'm a US tax partner in our Blick Rothenberg's US-UK private client practice. I was born in Western Pennsylvania a long time ago. I moved here in 1989 for two years in 1989. So I've been here a while. I've worked with Bola, and Bola got me my job. That's how much I trust Bola. I do US tax. It's a very big market in the UK and in Europe. And we, you know, at the firm, at BR, are an accounting firm. And I think, you know, I can express the points that Bolin made when he joined, was it Price Waterhouse, And you were only the, probably the only black person in the room. That probably hasn't changed much to this day, 10, 12, 15, 20 years later. It's a challenge for everybody. So, you know, the point would be, why is a white middle-aged partner from BR in this discussion? I've got a passion for this. I think that diversity is very important, both from a firm perspective in our our client base and from a firm perspective in our employee base because it enriches your it enriches your whole practice and i looked at my client base i don't have many if any black clients and why is that is that conscious bias no absolutely not it just has been the way it's been and it's because do we focus in the market no but we're starting to and we're starting to make efforts we have an embrace network that is there internally to help promote diversity in our in our firm and we are putting on an event to help network with black owned businesses minority owned businesses and i will say we should talk to kojo about because we had a conversation before we started yeah. you haven't mentioned it yet not only do you help people network but you also put on events you actually put on festivals yeah. and maybe you should if I may Please. talk about that, because that's actually extremely interesting that, you know, there's there's opportunity there There, you know, years ago when the Internet started, there were firms that were putting on these events where everybody just mushed together and meet. And this is, sounds like something that you're providing a forum for folks to just come and be with each other.
0: And the networks that Ed was describing, what is the power of networks of people working with each other to improve the work
1: yeah, of each other. Yeah, um, so we co-produced or assist with a festival in, in Ghana called Afrochella but it's now been renamed as Afrofuture um, because they had issues with Coachella. <laughs> <laughs> what we've always done is always through like British Council and whatnot get a lot of creatives involved in doing stuff on the continent and connecting with a lot more of what their tribe would look like or also create a new audience. Um, and through the back of that we're about to announced the very first African Creative Festival um, called Home and Away and should be at the Roundhouse on Africa Day next year, God willing. And we're looking at creating the space where regardless where you are or where you've come from especially for black creators um, you're able to dream and able to live your dream for a lot of people they have visa restrictions and that might be the only reason why they can never connect with a global audience or never be the reason why they have a lot of people tuning to their podcast from the UK but they'll never get to see them or for artists that have exhibitions in the uk but are not allowed to attend their own exhibitions these are things that happen um and we're using the festival as a tool to kind of break down those barriers where people are disconnected from their tribe people are disconnected from their dreams and it's to know no reason or fault of this they just happen to be born in a very different part of the world and we're hoping to use these festivals to, um, as a means to kind of have a creative visa waiver um, especially for people from the continent that are looking to do a lot more and be seen way more um, in the uk and europe one thing i've learned from leading a tribal or causing change um, especially for the black community is I'll give you an example. Um, we just wrapped up our residency at Somerset House, right? Um, and 95% of our footfall or conversion of people that buy are non black. And I've always said that if we. Um, have a store, concept store that have over 200 black-owned businesses in the same space for people to choose from and we only have black people buy from us, then we failed because there's amazing products, amazing brands, amazing stories behind some of these products that people just don't get a chance to see it. So once they see it, they can make a decision for themselves. And I'm, I'm not surprised that... Majority or pretty much all our customers are white because that's like mainstream or non black, I would say, not white. Um, That's mainstream market. So, as any brand or business, you're trying to get mainstream to purchase from you. Um, And that's why I believe networking or or our collective approach in solving these issues is the more appropriate way, um, only because we can't do it for ourselves. We all did about five to eight percent of the nation's population right we need people that have the numbers people that have the access people that have have years ahead of you in terms of overcoming certain barriers um, um all working towards the a common um um goal and that is to me, a quicker route um, at solving what happens to be a national issue as opposed to just having a collective of people thinking they can solve issues. I keep telling other people that are in the same position as myself that, look, this is our problem, but it's also our problem in terms of a nationwide problem and we need people on the other side, we need people in boardrooms, we need people that are decision makers, we need people that are mainstream customers to, to get involved in this else we're not going to make any progress.
3: And this is where and why to my mind a firm like Blick Rothenberg why diversity, why are you bothering kind of thing and the answer is it's good business sense. You have a diverse workforce You have a richer culture or workforce. People are coming at things from a different perspective. You have a diversified client base. People see that, and you are in markets that maybe other bigger firms won't get into. So it makes good business sense, as well as it's the right thing to do.
0: We we talked earlier a little about barriers, some of them obnoxious and in your face, some of them subtle. When you're advising... Businesses who come to Black like Rothenburg, how aware are you of the barriers that they face? What are the the barriers that you've identified in your work with entrepreneurs, particularly entrepreneurs from minority ethnic communities? Yeah,
3: as I said earlier, I I was I was looking at this and I came to the unbelievable realization that I have very few, if any, black owned businesses. I have a few who are uh, South Asian-owned businesses. I don't really see much in the way of barriers there because I'm coming in and asked to provide highly technical structuring advice, and so I'm really not much into the business end of things.
0: The operational end.
3: The operational end, the the the, the marketing, the sales, et cetera. But I'll turn to Bola and ask Bola, how many black clients do you have?
2: Unfortunately, not any.
3: Who do you sell to?
2: I sell to... Accountancy firms, CPA firms, hedge funds, credit funds, private equity banks that's really my client base, but these are also predominantly really large organizations but yeah unfortunately i don't I don't, I don't have any black clients now
0: so when you're working with those clients they are, they're they're white clients
2: yes, yes why do you think that is Why do I think that is um, I think that Like, professional services, historically, has been quite a white-dominated space. Um, In terms of, you know, inclusion or having that black representation, I think there's a number of reasons why we don't have a good number of, say, black partners or black heads of tax, right? It starts at the lowest level, right? Because you take a partner, for example, you know, he may have been with that firm or, for 15, 20 years, or he's moved through a number of firms, but it's really around the recruitment side. Um, so it's recruitment, but then it's also retention. Okay. Um, if you look at the if you look at the recruitment aspect, are black people applying for the roles? Are they aware of the roles?
0: Do they think the roles are for them?
2: Do you know what? That's a really good point, Declan. Do they think the roles are for them? Because again, and I, and I, I said this earlier. I have a little bit of a naivety around success that things don't really phase me, but they do phase a lot of people. I'll give you a quick story. When I started in the recruitment space, I called up all my friends that I went to university with and I said, look, guys, I'm in, I'm in the recruitment space. We all study business economics and finance and accountancy. I said, I'm in the recruitment space now. Like, Let me help you to find a new job. Some of these guys had first-class degrees, you know, very, very capable individuals. And I I was looking at their CVs thinking, like, why are you working at this small firm? Why are you working at this very, you know, mum and pop or, you know, just really small firms? Why are you not kind of aiming for the larger organisations? But one of the realisations I had is that there was a distinct lack of confidence amongst black and ethnic minorities when it comes to entering these corporate environments that may be seen to be um, predominantly white, quite frankly, you know, do we... You mean
0: this is not a place for me? This is not somewhere where I will feel comfortable? Precisely, yeah, yeah.
3: And then when you look at the intake and then you look at retention, so people come in and they get over the hurdle of joining the firm, but then in their experience in the firm... They either have one, two, four, eight, ten unconscious biased interactions, and after a while you think, you know what,
0: there's got to be somewhere better to go. What do we mean by unconscious bias? What does that cover?
3: I probably am less perceptive of it than the other folks at the table. It sounds grim. (laughs) It's, It's not. We're actually making significant strides as a firm to do more than just pay lip service to the concepts around diversity and workplace, focusing on conscious and unconscious bias. And what do I mean by that? What I mean is I've got a project. I've got to get these three things done and I need somebody who's really clever. And you have, you know, employee number one who is a ace at, you know, three different things. Employee number two is ace at three different things, et cetera, et cetera. One is white. One happens to be black. And you think, you know, I'm not racist, et cetera, et cetera. But for whatever reason, you pick the white guy. And if that happens time and time again across the piece of the management, sooner or later, the talents. Black guy is, or a or girl, woman is going to be. Ah, I see this, and I, this
0: isn't right because it keeps happening again and again. Because
3: again. it happens, it happens more than once. And it's just that, that there, there's the conscious and there's the unconscious. If you have a conscious bias, you shouldn't be in practice. It's the unconscious stuff,
0: I guess, is the is the point. Yeah. Guys, what do you think? Do Do you see that in recruitment? That when you're replacing talented people with companies,
2: I see that quite a lot so like an example is a client's attitude towards paying us right so sometimes you get kind of these undertones that suggest that like we don't want, we don't want to pay you that said amount it feels almost like a bit painful to to pay you knowing that it's a black guy you sometimes get that i wouldn't say that it's it's not constant it's not constant right people don't want to pay recruiters but yeah, <laughs> yeah. People don't want to, but it comes across in sometimes in like the negotiation, right? These small nuances, right? In terms of unconscious bias, it could just be things like, I don't believe he's going to do a good job. Just that assu- um, that assumption from there. Yeah, there's some there's some like preconceived notion that I don't think that he's going to do a good job. And Ed gives the scenario where it's boss, right, wanting a member of his staff. In all honesty, unconscious bias is more of an issue at the peer level. Tell me what that means. So at the peer level, so just you take a cohort and you say, right, we're hiring 12 grads, right? Because I had this kind of experience where we're doing a hiring drive, right? We're bringing 15 people. The other people can make you feel uncomfortable. And it can be the smallest things like, no, I remember in my time, there was two questions that I would always get asked. And those questions were, where are you from? What does your father do? Right? And straight away, that's profiling. The, it's profiling, the, yeah, precisely. It's like, where are you from? You know, what does your father do? It's, it's profiling. You'll hear all sorts of comments. Not to say that everybody's like that, but... And, and what these incidents do, they just create a feeling of not feeling comfortable. And let's face it, we go to work five days a week, We probably spend more time at work than at home. And there will be lots of black people nodding as I say this. Imagine not feeling comfortable every day you go into that environment. But you have to because that's your job, right? And you'll do your job to your best ability. But there will still be times where you feel uncomfortable. And if I'm being brutally honest, it's part of the reason why I set up my own business. So I can control that narrative that we're, you know, my organization has a certain culture and diversity is at the heart of it. How should
0: professional organizations, those big
2: corporates, address that? Acknowledge it. So this podcast is good because I think that it's all about awareness. I think that being in business is difficult enough, right? Whether you're an entrepreneur, whether you're, somebody working in professional services and you're trying to move up the ladder, or even if you're a partner from everybody's lens, we have a lot on our plates, right? And so I think sometimes it is easy to perhaps just push it to the side, but I just think that it's something that needs to be kind of at the forefront in terms of what does this organization look like from the lens of the black member of staff?
0: You said... Part of the reason that you run your own business is because of the situation in many larger corporate Mm -hmm. organizations made you feel uncomfortable.
2: Yeah.
0: I wonder, is that a reason, Kourjou, that many of the people you work with work for themselves? They are entrepreneurs because it's more comfortable. They get to set the rules they are not faced with many of the the biases and the prejudices and the barriers yeah. that they would do in other forms of work activity
1: yeah um spot on I'm going now like to say, get back to what um Bullard said about um, controlling the narrative. We just get faced with so much stereo tabs um so typical narratives and also in different levels and i think especially even for creatives th- if this organization wouldn't hire me um, even though i'm good enough or if this organization wouldn't list me up for procurements and all sorts i'm just going to start my own thing um, and i think that is what has caused a lot of people to go into a space that I kind of have a problem with, because I'm not trying to get everybody to be an entrepreneur. Um, I feel like it's a calling that that space shouldn't be touched by people that have no business there. And it's fine if you're not called to be an entrepreneur, but it's unfortunate if you're pushed into that space, because that's your only way out. The reason why I say that is, like Bola said, again, um, you have to have a level of resilience. You have to have a level of discernment and to be able to navigate the space um, and also be able to have like a thick skin to weather a lot of these things. Some people just don't have it in them to do that but they just have found themselves in a space where that is their only option. So for their dreams to come true or for them to get to a certain level in their career that they're pursuing they have to do things themselves.
2: Do you know what? I do want to just interject there slightly because I'm always conscious of being balanced, right? And so Kojo mentioned something there that I felt I was good enough but I wasn't given the role and I think that as black people I think we have we also have to be conscious of is that necessarily the case you know I've had individuals who've interviewed with me and they've by default felt that they were going to get the job because they were black and I've said no I'm not hiring you right and so I think that as black people, we also have to look inwards and ensure that we are putting out the best possible version of ourselves as well. And, and also, we try, we try, we try again. No one's hearing yes the first time, right? And so, I think that it's great that we're sitting here on a panel that is made up of two black individuals and two white individuals, because I think it's sometimes what you can see in the black community is that we'll sit there and say, okay, we're not getting these opportunities. But the first thing I will ask is, well, how many times did you knock on the door? And when you did knock on the door, what was your presentation, right? Was it as good as it could be? So I think it's sometimes easy just to say, oh, you know, I'm a black entrepreneur. I've tried to sell this product or service The person said no, and it's because I'm black. That's not business. That's not the business world. In fact, I think that being black actually lends itself incredibly well to being in business because you will have faced adversity over your time and you need, and that builds resilience. And quite frankly, in business, you need to be resilient, right? (laughs) Kojo, what do you think?
1: No, 100% no. it's you, it's something that you need, but like I said, I I I keep saying especially with like products that we sell or brands that we sell, I don't want people to buy it because it's black. I want them to buy it because it's good enough for them to purchase because they're parting with their money. And it is the same thing with like working with creatives um getting them into positions and whatnot. We're not in here to to tick off people's boxes. Well, I'm, I'm very much performance driven. So even I have to use myself as an example, uh, I used to be in a phase in my life where I was very pro-black. I wanted a team to be black. I wanted my marketing lead to be black. I wanted this person to be black. And it was just a, a, a bunch of black people in the space trying to do, make it work. But it was affecting me it was affecting the company our performance levels were dropping not everybody shared my vision but i was just trying to create space for people to get opportunities that it's up so i learned very quickly that it's not just about having a team that is filled with black people um but it's it's more important having people that are performance driven so if that means have hiring a black person to do this because he's great at it. That's what I was going to go for and not just because of race, because I'll be making the same mistakes as these corporates. So over time, now we have a very diverse force and it's basically down to people that are going to amplify our vision and make things happen quicker for us, as opposed to um, opening the doors for everyone just because of race.
0: I, I hear what you're saying, that in business, people get set back. People don't buy the product. They don't hire us for the job that we think we're going to get. But if you're having to knock on more doors than other people simply because of your colour, or you're having to put that extra effort into these pitches, and you're forever having to explain yourself on terms that other people set, if nothing else, that must be exhausting.
2: Yeah, there will be times where perhaps it is exhausting, but if we were not sitting here talking about black entrepreneurs and we were just talking about being an entrepreneur we would say it's bloody hard right that's just a byproduct of choosing that lane right and so yes it might it may be exhausting but it kind of comes with the territory right i'm not really a, i'm not really a complainer i deal with the circumstances that are in front of me and i learn to navigate whatever system i'm in and for the last over 15 years like my environment has been predominantly either working with um predominantly white colleagues white boss white clients and i just think that for 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 black people i think we have to just open our eyes to this is the landscape how will you navigate it right um yes there can be efforts for that landscape to be tweaked but as it is we need to navigate it and so when kojo mentions that like a lot of creatives by default decide that they're going to run their own business because it's comfortable i just want to be clear yes i run my own business but it still isn't comfortable i don't think success just it works like that and it's it's not really race driven right it's some people are going to like me. Some people are not. I'm going to have to navigate it. How are we going to make some progress
0: here? We've talked about barriers, hidden and obvious. How do we overcome them? How do we remove them? Go am um,
1: I would say through conversations, um, we need to speak to the people that have been affected by these systematic barriers. Um, We need to hear them um, well and not literally just uh, have tick box sections um, and to look a certain type of way. Um, And we need to think more about the future in terms of what, Everyone else is trying to do in terms of green planet and trying to make sure the world is a better place. We need to think about workforce um, being a better place. We need to think about entrepreneurship being a better place and how we can play our own roles um, individually and also as a collective. Um, we need to approach this um, as a community. Um, it shouldn't be segmented to um one particular race or background Um, everyone regardless of how comfortable you sit on what side of the table need to understand the tables can turn as it has in other areas um, so that you can also play a role but I think it has to be a very inclusive um, approach in terms of um, dialoguing and making sure the right people um, that are especially being affected by this are in the spaces where um, decisions are being made.
2: Good question, Declan. How do we make progress? I think it's a multi-pronged attack. So, I think that you know, in terms of on a corporate level, in terms of people like Ed, people who are at the heads of these organisations, um, I think that they they do need to listen and speak more to their current black in, their, their their current black workforce. Okay, what are those nuances? What are the, what are the kind of unconscious biases that you've experienced? Right. Because without kind of understanding what those are, how can you start to kind of stamp them out, right, in terms of educating the the, the, the remainder of the workforce? Um, I do, however, think that, you know, black professionals also um, have a duty to, to hold the door open as well. So um, I try, I will always make myself available to any professional, but maybe there is a special place in my heart for kind of an up and coming black professional who is going through an issue, wants to kind of understand how they might n- navigate a, cer- a certain um, scenario. I do think that we do have a duty, like I said, to hold the door open. And I think that can come in different forms. And I think the the, the final, well, I got two more points. Um, I think that, I think if you're, if you're a, if you're a black entrepreneur, if there's one thing that I want you to take away from this is, lean into your blackness. You're black. You be confident about that, right? You know, I I see too many people almost becoming sheepish about it, right? That, oh, they're not gonna, they're not gonna hire me. They're not gonna accept me. But why not? If you're confident in your approach, why do they not? I'm testament to that you know i'm somebody that went to university i'm i come from no privilege because that's one other thing that i wanted to make sure that was known that we didn't have listeners thinking oh well you know he went to you know he comes from kind of upper middle class i really didn't you know i've got the receipts i can show you i could show you the receipts right but with confidence anything is possible right and lastly for the entrepreneurs seek out other black entrepreneurs you know, there is a there's an ingenious tool called LinkedIn, which gives you access to probably whoever you want in the professional world by a click of a button. Right. I'm seek me out. Right. And it can be for anything you, you're you looking for. You're looking for advice. Where should I be applying? Right. I think that black professionals and entrepreneurs do need to be more joined up. And I think that some of the great things that Kojo is doing is, you know, is a great is a good example of how we can start to kind of bring bring people together because i think one of the big things is access to information
0: at a practical level in terms of places that entrepreneurs can go to for support for help are there any that you would recommend or that you uh, are familiar with
1: Yeah, so I'm the London Chamber of Commerce. um, um, I'm on the board for the Black Business Association, headed by Lord Hastings and... um do amazing jobs in terms of helping a lot of black entrepreneurs and businesses. Um, the BYP um, is also one that a lot of people are familiar with and are doing an amazing thing. They just launched a career platform called Javelin. Um, the Black Business, the, the Black British Business Awards also have a lot of mentoring schemes and supports um, for black um, corporate executives. Um, so I'll, I'll mention those three and of course my runway group as well.
0: Of course, uh, and people can find information about that uh, online. And- And on your website as well, I imagine. Just remind us what your web address is. So it's
1: myrunwaygroup.com and our socials is myrunwaygroup too.
0: I think that was a revealing and a stimulating and an inspiring discussion as well. So I want to thank uh, the three of you, Kojo, Bula and Ed. Thank you very much for being uh, with us. Uh, If you want to listen to other Brave Business uh, episodes, you can find them on your favourite podcast service or for further insights to help entrepreneurial business, you can visit Blick Rothenberg's Entrepreneurs Hub, www.blickrothenberg.com slash entrepreneurs. I'm Declan Curry. This has been the Blick Rothenberg Brave Business Podcast. Thank you so much for being part of our conversation.
2: If
1: you enjoyed this episode of Brave Business, try The Tax Factor, the podcast series that helps you stay up to date with the latest tax developments. Find it wherever you listen to Brave Business or on the Blick Rothenberg website.